Hey, what's up, y'all? <laughs> Welcome into the Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, I am your host. Domestic edition. Yes, it's domestic edition. We are at my house. So if the audio is not quite what you're used to, Brody's on a jankle headset mic I've had forever. I'm on a somewhat nice mic, but we are in a full open room. So uh, apologies ahead of time. And we have a child we're trying not to wake up. Yeah. So, or, uh, or we're trying to put to sleep. So I tried to time this during uh, Alice's nap. And because, of course, this is just like how life works, I guess. Um, this is one of the only times in her life where she's like been really fighting a nap. Now, she's fought sleep at night before, but never just a nap. So... It sounds like she's quiet, though. Fingers crossed. Getting, like, she, yeah, I'm think, optimistic. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the, the saddest part is she's almost two, so she kind of talked now. And she's like, at one point when you're doing a radio, produce in the garage in a radio interview, because we're like super busy and successful media people. <laughs> um, but but Al, she was like, no, no, like saying no as she's crying. And I was like just in a like, movie scene, like dramatic. <sighs> Oh my God, dude. Am I just the biggest asshole in the world? No, you're a good dad. You're making her stronger. Uh, to be clear, I don't want people to think that I'm like a, a cried out person when they're really young because that's I do not agree with that, whatever. But, I, you know, at a certain age, she got smart enough where she was starting to manipulate us a lot. And we did with her at night. She's been great ever since. So I think we made it through it, though. So I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm, I'm in a very good mood now because the caffeine's hitting. We made it through that. It yeah. seems like she's quieting down. Maybe Coffee taking boys. a nap now. Yeah. Um, it's it, we got a lot to talk about today. You went to New York I for did. the Heisman. Uh, we got some recruiting to talk about with signing day on Wednesday, which I just realized means this thing will be instantly dated, um, like twelve oh, hours God. after we release it. Oh God! So I guess we'll just talk more like grand, <laughs> broad about the class. <laughs> we're really good at this. Right? As we just as we just talked about it beforehand too. We never arrived at no. This. We're like, oh, here's what we're going to talk about. Like we were like <laughs> confident. We're like, yeah, okay, let's talk about this guy. What he's going to do? Yeah, we're idiots. <laughs> okay, well, may, maybe I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know. We could. We got this. Yeah, we'll talk more broadly about. We'll the talk class. about the highs and stuff. Well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the class in general is not going to change too much. Um, no, no. And you sound like you're pretty read up on it. I did like a little bit of a deep dive last night, but I'm, I'm a not, reporter. That, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but you're no Shay Dixon. Bro. I'm no, so no, no one is Shay Dixon. Okay. Shay Dixon. I just want to be clear. Anyone looking for recruiting news, Shay Dixon is so on top of things, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Dixon's man. They got a little, they got a little LSU pull to them. You know, they got. I feel like they're like they're power couple. Yeah, for real. Exactly. The Clintons of LSU. Um, whew, man, what about well, where how how would you rank? Ross Dellinger and Liz Crisp against well, that's an all time power couple. It's just kind of their different worlds a little bit, which makes them even more powerful because they really can connect the political. Deli and Crisp, yeah, yeah, they, they connect the political time. and that's the sports. True. So it's because like, one's now in D.C. and then the other one's running around with Sports Illustrated. So yeah, they really conquer all worlds. Like if one of them can really, if they have like a cousin or like a brother in the music film sphere, you're really set. <laughs> you're I mean, the pop culture sphere that it's yeah, done. Yeah, but otherwise, I mean, they're they're doing okay. While uh, while the Dixon the Dixon couple is uh more LSU focused. Yeah, yes, they're, they're, yes. they own the state. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, congratulations to all of everybody who we just talked about. I, I enjoy all those people quite immensely. <laughs> um. So I guess we'll start by saying uh, buy your holiday meats from A Bear's Specialty Meats off of Jefferson and um, also in Prairieville. And subscribe to The Athletic because it's excellent. 
and it's well worth it. You can always find great sign-up deals. We have our recruiting blitz going right now. Oh, okay. What's that, Brody? Well, basically everybody, all the, every college beat writer on the site, and everybody's writing a lot of recruiting features and different prospects and trends and whatnot. Oh. I actually really recommend, have you read Max Olson's thing this morning? I have not. Max Olson did a really, really cool breakdown of basically looking at all of the numbers of transfers and like basically every Ooh. top 50 quarterback of the past from 2014 to 2017 and correct the numbers of basically how many of them stay, how many of them leave, how quickly they stay, how quickly they leave, what they do after leaving, what's happened to like the depth in quarterback rooms because of this trend, how hard it is to actually keep like a four-man, three-man room because of this. It's wow. a really fascinating read, and obviously LSU applies to it as much as anyone because, one, you got Joe Burrow via transfer, but also – you're, there's you know there's a there's a half decent chance they look quarterback in the transfer market this year. Do you start then like, I mean just look at the Heisman right? You were just there, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, yep. Justin Fields. I mean that's you know the old, it's, and it's a third transfer winner I think in a row. In a row. Yep. First graduate uh, transfer ever, which is weird. You wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. First ever. It's always been other kind like normal you, so transfers. You know what that's you know what is interesting, and I wonder if that's kind of um. A, almost a tribute to what Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow has done. Is it the first graduate transfer? Just because it's well, probably because two year thing probably matters. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a relative. It's a relatively new thing. Uh, but two year, two years to be at a place is That's a huge. quick amount of time to ingratiate yourself with the people and 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 uh, and and yeah, get to the point that Burrow has. Like and, because he he always tells you the first thing he says about wait, what's like because it's the most common question he gets. You know, How did you turn it around this much? And his answer is always. I actually had an off season. Yes. You know, I had a full year to be here at the receivers and work with them. So I think that can't be understated. Actually, he had a good interview with the part of my take boys. I did see that. And um, have you listened yet? Most of it, yeah. Um, so when he was talking about the bowl practice leading up to UCF and how for him that was kind of like a spring that practice. That was really interesting, yeah. Because he didn't get a spring. And he was like, that was the first time that I was like, okay, this is just like extended practice time, no games, no great looming Thing. Like, I can actually work on my timing with these guys. we got no school. We can treat it and a lot like a, like a camp of sorts. Because people always talk about that when they talk about, like, freshmen. They always say freshmen develop most in bowl practice because it's the first time they've really, like, they know what's going on now, but they can actually learn more. And I never even thought of it applying to Burrow. But it makes yeah. perfect sense because that's when his game went to its best. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, again, it's just, you know, just – it is wild, even <clears throat> when you look at last season, how he was starting that game in Miami two months after showing up, and he had never been under center. Uh, I don't think since he was in like junior high or some something like that. Yeah, something story like that. Goes, and even just like goes. he's never started a college game. Yes, yes. Just, yeah, just uh, there's so much there. Yeah, and to see from those humble beginnings to now, you being there witnessing. Uh, the largest margin of victory, and there's like so many records. Right? It's like largest margin. I mean, do you, do you know all the different kind of well, I know bullet it's point records they've been talking about? Biggest percentage of first place votes, okay. biggest just overall percentage margin of victory, and I, those are the only two I know off the top of my head. But I think there's like four different things he yeah, broke. Yeah, like yeah. most points. I don't know. Just yeah. just just all in all. Um, not say he's the most dominant Which Heisman player ever. I was going to say, there are reasons for why. There's yeah. there's no great second place guy. No, year, exactly, but. exactly. But all in all, just you know, the biggest Heisman margin ever of victory, which shows you how legendary his season was. And to be clear, like uh, second on a lot of this list is like Troy Smith. 
Yes. So if you, if you just want some perspective on you, this doesn't mean that he's the greatest Heisman oh, ever. Troy Smith is great, man. He was great. History's been great. unkind to him because he got killed in a championship game. But Troy Smith is great. He was. I remember. I mean, I was I was sure that he was the Heisman. This for is sure. me just remembering. I used to love watching Troy Smith. That's all that's happening here. Um, what happened to Troy Smith? Remember, he had like a hot like. He had a weird like eight weeks in the NFL where he won like a lot of games and it was like was I think the Ravens. I want to say Ravens. Like someone got hurt, so he got a spot, and it was like it was like is Troy Smith good? But it was just the team was good, and they were just kind of like fluking their way into some wins. But it was like is he? But no, he lasted for a while. Mm. It's not a starter. No. Um, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. You can the the amount of people, the amount of human beings on the earth that combine the physical and mental skill sets required to be an NFL quarterback. It's, it's kind of like the NBA in that it makes it such that, like, you don't have to be good by NFL standards. You just, I mean, th- there's just so few people out there that can even qualify to do the job at a bad level. It's just like, I remember talking to somebody, it's just like, the amount of intelligence it takes to, like that we will never be able to comprehend that comes down to making the read for the right pass. Yeah. It's just like more than I think my brain it's can... instant. Yes. And that's actually, speaking of Burrow, that's his greatest trait. Yeah. It's not his physicality. It's not his footwork. It's his ability to just make that read immediately. He sees the defense and knows what's going to happen and all that. And that's just like... So we're getting... Yeah, we're on a tangent, but just like that is the thing about NFL quarterbacks. I don't think anyone can really appreciate. Well, and it's like, but then, so if you really do sit down and kind of marinate on that and Mar- then Let's Let's you realize well what i'm saying like so you, you just you know you sit down your own time you think about it and then you realize okay wow that you know that is mentally that's incredibly challenging well then you get to the part where you also have to be athletic enough and have enough of yeah. an arm to actually do the other things that bro does incredibly which is navigate the pocket sometimes completely escape the pocket and no matter what you're doing whether you're clean whether you're pressured be able to deliver the ball accurately on time exactly where your brain tells you right. it should be that is an absurd alchemical mixture <laughs> of a human being and that's to possess what, those mental and physical skills i know and that's why like and there have been so there have been books and articles and so many things written about this, but like that's why figuring out in the NFL draft which quarterbacks are good and which aren't yep. is the most complicated and impossible art, and it's just guessing. And anyone who claims it isn't is full of it because you know you pick the guy who has all the physical tools. Well, he can't really, you know, he's just not bright enough, or he's not tough enough, or just any of these weird things. Or then maybe you fall too hard for the guy who has those intangibles, so you fall for that guy. But maybe he just doesn't have the physical abilities, yep. and it's just like maybe you're the smartest guy, but maybe he can't take a hit. Like there's just so many things that just go into that that is just impossible in every other position on the field you can kind of figure it out a little bit yeah and quarterback it is guessing I agree I agree and it's um and so I guess this is all just to kind of say just appreciate what you have got to bear witness to this season if you're listening to this podcast you're an LSU fan even if you're just a college football fan because he has been uh, legendary, and I and and I know I over I I definitely overuse uh, like superlative <laughs> adjectives, right? Uh, I just like uh, like incredible, spectacular. Or, uh, what about the word great? Um, <laughs> Our own personal. I, fight. You know what's funny? I actually uh, did you get on somebody about using? No, great? no, no. I actually stumbled into this little tangent, not even thinking about the fact that you had a <laughs> you and I have had literal fights, like a lengthy fight about this. <laughs> But yes, yes, I want my superlatives <laughs> to mean a lot. When I use a, so when I use legendary for Joe Burrow, like you just did, I, you don't have to preface it like I was having to preface. Yeah, it. I want it to mean something exactly, which okay. is what you're getting at. Yeah, so that is what I'm getting at, <laughs> and and it's just that sadly because I do overuse him, it's required. But but he is truly 
legendary in the same way that Billy Cannon is legendary. Eddie George at Ohio State, like uh, like what you witnessed from Drew Brees. Tebow's a good example. Monday night, Tim Tebow. He's a good one. Legendary. Yeah. Chris Leak. Legend. No, my bad. Wait, my yeah. Bad. No, I got my Tiger Florida, out of the cage. I got my Florida's uh, wires crossed. No, so it's it's. I mean, <laughs> he is um, he is immortal. He, do, do you think he, does he have to win a natty to get a statue? No, I think it's over. You think the statue's think, over? Because I think what the Burrow story goes down to, which is so much greater than just anything that we've. It's it's the combination of it's the position that else you can ever figure out. It's the fight to get back to where they are after such a long time away. It's taking this offense into the future. I mean, that's why Ed O'Jean always calls him the most important recruit he's ever got because yeah. it's not just about being good. He's recruited probably more talented players than Joe, Joe Burrow, maybe, I don't know. But it's the idea that like he might have just changed the next decade for LSU. This one player yes. might have actually changed the decade. That's why he gets a statue. Plus, mm-hmm. he's a Heisman winner, so that goes without saying. Like You, know, you only got two. I mean... Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The it's other like one has statues. It's so. like not you can be stubborn about. It. It's like an, it's not like an MLB Hall of Fame voter where you're like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Oh, dude, yeah so, I mean, no, you're so right though. And this is something that I kind of lose sight of at times. But I used to think about a lot he's with the most Johnny Manziel. LSU player ever. Well, I used to think about a lot with Johnny Manziel, which is like he was to me always a great testament of how much juice a transcendent player could give a program because mm-hmm. Texas A&M came roaring out of nowhere. And then it became cool. And then it became cool. And as we've the SEC seen, thing also plays a factor there. Yes. But yes, yeah. but that put him, I mean, but that, that, that's also like, that's true with everyone. No doubt. Well, not only that, but it, that's still the generally, uh, the toughest stage in college football. And that is the one that he dominated. Yeah. And so, and so that still goes, you know, that's, it's still that, that juice he is creating and, and and being on that stage and the performances at Alabama. Like, as we've kind of seen, Kevin Sumlin's maybe not the best college football no, coach. No, he's not. Uh, and that's probably overly kind way of saying that. Um, he's probably kind of a bad college football coach. I'm at the point coach. where I have to accept he might be bad, yeah. <laughs> and you know me. I'm always, like, really skeptical to call coaches bad. I give them the longest yes. leashes well, ever. that's actually why I was, like, a little tentative, too. I was <laughs> I'm like, so, I wonder how Brody's going to so this. I'm so stubborn about it. I'm still like, give Muschamp one more. But, yeah, no, I, I mean, someone's bad. Yeah. I mean, bro, Muschamp's bad. Are you, are you there with what the What if he yet? gets Birch? Are you there with the yet? No, one more year. Oh, my God, dude. Oh, he beat Georgia. Oh, wow. South oh. Carolina's a tough job, man. Oh, man. He just needed a better OC. Didn't look too tough under Spurrier, bro. Spurrier, okay. Spurrier's going to be go down as one of the most like lost to history all time great coaches ever. He's unbelievable because like he's just like because of his personality and his character, everyone's like, oh, he's just like boofing around. Like no one takes him that seriously. He is one of the greatest coaches. Dude, South Carolina only had one ten win season in their hundred year history before he got there. My sister went to South Carolina. Oh wow, sad ass football tradition. Yeah. Um, still, it doesn't excuse Will Muschamp. But, um, but Kevin anyway, Sumlin yeah, <laughs> is a bad coach. And Johnny Manziel got paid, this man paid for Side note, South Carolina's number 18 class in the country right now. Muschamp, man. <sighs> okay, I actually, hate that I've become the Muschamp okay. guy. What's happened to me? Who am I? And, and, in all honesty, I'm, I am very impressed with that. And if I was yeah, an AD, I was if I I was an AD I'd be like, you know what? That's probably okay, why you're firing yeah. yeah, I can we, can. we can see where this thing goes. Freshman quarterback and all that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I I can appreciate a. That was I was also surprised. Nugget, by I can this, appreciate yeah. a counter nugget of Number information. Number seventeen last year. Itself. What's going on, man? Okay, but see, hold on now. Don't stack too many good classes and not win. Yeah, because that doesn't because because number, number eighteen and eighteen. 
Um, so he's been recruiting since the day he got there. All right, go on. Point is, Mandel made someone millions of dollars. He brought so many donations to A and M again. They were suddenly relevant. Their brand was great. You think about what, what do we? What do I keep hearing from people who are in the know? Uh, is that right now at LSU the checkbooks are open, like from the boosters? Like you yeah. need anything? Where do I sign? Like and 100%. so much of that comes from Joe Burrow, and it's just fascinating the economics of college football yeah. and how the players can't be paid. But you look at the value that one player can have on a program, on a state. I mean, if we want to go real crazy with this, there are people, you know, analysts that I've heard, and I don't know. I'm, I'm don't take this as law. But that, like, even LSU beating Alabama and and the 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 kind of happiness that that garnered even helped out John Bell Edwards in the governor's election yeah, a little. They're bit. like smart people who think. Yes, that. Yeah. that's what I'm saying. Now I've talked to other smart people who say it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But yeah, still, it, but, but but the point is, is that some people have even said that that we're, we're just looking for the echo impacts, the butterfly effect. Oh, it's yeah. that a player like this can have, and it's been. Wild to watch firsthand. I never thought that I would cover a Heisman winning quarterback nope. as closely as we've covered this team. Yeah, and I think it was also, what I, I want to keep going with your point in a second, but the other thing about Burr I want to say is like, there's also the personality factor that adds to the legend a bit. Yeah, it's like you know, it's it's he's good. He's, then we talked about the impact he had, which is also huge. And then you add the personality factor, so he has that that's that swagger to him. He has like nine different like you know, kind of legend-like moments that you can talk about that are just kind of like those those kind of iconic things, you know, those flashpoint moments. That, so, I mean, that's a huge part of his legacy. And then I think the moment that really sealed, like, all right, this guy's going to go down forever is one of these, was his speech Saturday. I think that, like, made him America's quarterback. That's kind of what I said the other day to somebody. It was like, I think this might be over the top, but I think he became America's quarterback Saturday well, night. I mean, nobody dislikes him. Also, because LSU, um, I think nationally, even though everybody in the SEC, rightfully so, uh, should think that LSU fans are obnoxious. Cause they are. Everybody is. They're fun, but they're um, and, but, uh But, but nationally, they're kind of like America's darling a little bit. The Coach O story is one yes. that is just impossible not to root for. Um, all these other brands are so well known here in kind of recent football domination, yep. and this has been a little bit like of like you know the rebirth of an like, of an old empire. It's a little bit like 2017 Georgia, a little, but yes. but times one and a half. But but way but way yeah. higher on the likability scale. Yeah, and LSU also has a little something. I think LSU it's like there are like six or seven programs that like, and there's no way to quantify this, but I still stand by it that are just like to national people to average people are just cool. Yeah, I think LSU yes, is one yeah, of those schools yeah, that just like yeah. there's something cool about them. Van Pell and Rosillo, it like imprinted yeah. <laughs> on them back in the it's, day it's when true. they came. Uh, the, the PMT guys are another example. Yep. You know, like there's just something kind of cool and like I mean, I remember being in high school and I want to be clear, I do not like LSU. I'm not an LSU fan. I write about them, but like I remember in high school being like LSU is just kind of cool. And maybe it's the players, maybe it's the personality. But what years were you in, in Texas? High school? Sometimes um, I was in high school from '09 to '13. Okay, yeah, so that was like the golden era. That dude, that I, th I think that, that I always felt like that was the LSU just like swag. And, and like when I was there, he, it was like was a was by like swaggy, Tyron yeah. Matthew. Yeah, and he's just like, I and I, I guess I could almost cringe as a word, but no, I mean like literally like swaggering. Like he was just oh, like. God. Just drip. You could feel that presence the same way that I described Burrow, where reality seems to bend around him. He had that, and then guys like Odell. And so, yeah, they've had a lot of these kind of. It's always been that vibe around the program a little bit. And I want to lost their way a little bit here recently, though. Felt like 
Actually, which, whoa, okay. which is also the, what makes what's happening now more impactful. And, and so, and if, and if we're just like just going free flow of consciousness let's do it, here, buddy. We're, it's domestic uh, edition. Yeah, no, that exactly right. I mean, that reminds me. What's wild is at the very beginning of the season, before they played a game, the same week, both Jordy Collada and Matt Flynn told me that they were around the building and that the vibe was just different. Mm. That the swagger was back. Like this was a team that carries themselves like they know they are about to beat ass. Like they, and and lo and behold, they have gone and proven that to be true. Which is kind of funny to look back on. And I talked about this a lot about the difference between last year's personality and this year's personality of that team. But like last year's team going to that Bama game, I always use the example of like it felt like a team that was just like tight and just like yeah. it was a team learning how to win and like you know they they overachieved everybody, but everyone kind of agrees they weren't really like a top six team at any real point. Well, so it's like they were just all kind of tight and like let's do it, we're gonna work hard and win. But like the uh, the the PMT interview, Burrow says he he admits it. He's like they yeah, thought they man, were gonna get whooped. Yeah. I knew I was. We I kind of had a feeling we were gonna get our ass kicked. Yeah, there was a sense of like, but I think last year's season in hindsight, which would actually be a fun story to write now, is like what was the value of last season if you talk to people on the team of like I think they had to learn how to be good again yes because for a while they weren't so it was like last year was about learning how to be on the big stage again and how to get in those and how to lose and what that's like and now that let them be who they are now and be this team that actually knows the difference between good and great and all those things I think there's a lot to that this is all uh very validating for me personally to hear because I felt like last season and shows you how far we've come I felt like the last two years I've had to really argue over the value of a 10th win and why 10 wins are important for morale and, oh, yeah. and, and program building and having clear and tangible cornerstones that show that you are quite literally a program moving in the right direction. And the analogy that I always used last year was Everybody wants to go to the moon because there's a lot of like trying to calm people down after BAM, right? Everybody wants to go to the moon, they want to, but, but nobody wants to build the rocket ship to get there. Yeah, Alabama's already got like a full-fledged space program. LSU was like like 30 years behind, you know. They, they, they were. They, they, they had to. Now, they did a damn good job. They got all their best scientists on it. They hyper-accelerated the developmental process. Joe Burrow kind of represents just like some sort of Mozart-like genius stepping in and figuring out the equations. And, yeah. and, and and now we'll see if they're this is a, just one rocket ship or is this more like a space program. But either way, last year was a step in that development and a key step. And, and, and you're seeing it just really pay dividends this season. Which I think is a perfect segue, unless you don't want to move on yet. No, but I think because we're talking about the impact of Burrow and all these things, and we're talking about building the, the, the spaceship. Is yeah. that what we're going with? Yeah. Okay, cool. Or space uh, program. <clears throat> thank you. Got it. But like, I think what we're talking about a continuity, because right now they figured out their offense, right? Yep. Well, the next step is actually keeping it going, yep. which the 2020 class is so important for that. Because, like you said, I don't think it will ever be hotter than it is right now. Even if they're good again next year, it will never be as exciting to recruit. It will yep. never be as cool as it is right this second. I remember, I'm like a Sixers fan, right? And like I remember the 2017 or 20, yeah, 2018 playoffs. I always talk about how like that was the year they were surprising and it was exciting and it was like, oh wow, Embiid and Simmons and all these guys are going this run and it was fun. And then I remember saying after they lost that playoff series, like it will never be fun again. Because yeah. now the now it's the expectation. My my age old uh my age old sports talk truth that I've been saying since they started back in twenty thirteen is that what really determines a fan base's happiness level is not the actual results. 
It is where do the results stand in relation to the expectations. And right now, this was the fun year. (laughs) And same thing Brody's saying. And and, and I think people will be like a little level-headed because Joe Burrow's so exorbitantly good that like... I hope they realize that. There there is going to be a step back regardless, but... But even then, the expectation level has risen, no doubt. Like, I mean, they're going to be expected to be, and maybe if you, if you do win an Natty, you probably get like a year of grace. But yeah, but they are going to be expected to be championship relevant year in and year out from here on out. It's funny that you say yeah, that point about the relativity thing because I think that's my. I always explain to people why I think LSU is actually the best team to cover in college football because Alabama's not fun to cover. No. They're supposed to win title every year. Yeah. It's just like if the- everything's negative. That's <laughs> that was my only point of attack I had in my Alabama group text with friends is like y'all can't enjoy anything. Yeah. Every like you have nothing else to attain. All you have is failure. Yep, that's what that's an example. There are a few others like this, and then like a seven of five team's not fun to cover for obvious reasons. But LSU, I think, is the best beat in the country because there is that. They, as a historically, it's not even just the past twenty years. Historically, LSU is probably a nine and three, ten and two caliber program, like just yeah. grand scheme of things. Yeah, absolutely. but it has the ceiling to be the best team in football, but it also has the ability to kind of bottom out. And it's just this fascinating. There's not many programs really like that. Texas is actually the last twenty years probably the closest comparison I can really think of. But so there's this beautiful balance of. Expe- like anger about where you are but possibility of more and it's like that's the most juicy and also you have the drama that kind of comes with LSU and Louisiana which is unlike any other state I've been around that's the ability for just weird stuff happening so I think LSU is the best beat in the country but anyway uh, no that's fascinating to hear from like a like an outsider uh, perspective uh, that's and you're not wrong I'm reading um, so I'm, I'm getting into my first uh, dabbling in reading about Louisiana politics and Reading Kingfish. Oh, yeah. uh, It is just. Never read it. (laughs) I mean, bro, Louisiana is fucking wild. There's nothing like it. I mean, there's fist fights all the time in the legislature. And then I was like, ha, that would never happen nowadays. I remember last year, there's a store like Norby Shop there. Yeah. What's that? At uh, River Room. (laughs) I forget who he's fighting with. River Room, dude. (laughs) Yeah. And like, Uh, I came from covering Mississippi sports for a year. That's close. That's close. Like the the Egg Bowl stuff is kind of close to, but it's not. It's not. I've always wondered what it's like living in the Ole Miss Mississippi State bubble. Uh, it's, because it's, because it's a weird existence because and unlike so LSU, together. are you going to be ever expecting to win national championships and stuff? You're not, right? No. Like, and so like, what is the anger level after? Now, a Ole Miss, there's a like, possibility of it, but still, you're just not. Is there? I mean, I guess we'll Ole Miss. Out. I think has like the flash in the pan upside of it because I think Ole Miss is actually cool too. I believe that. Ole Miss it, has a coolness. So, yes, yeah, so, and it's interesting you said that because remember we had that hypothetical about if all things are equal between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Yeah, and, and I made the argument that I think Ole Miss is the best job. And look at Lane Kiffin. No, I think Ole Miss paid him the most from what I've heard. Okay. They were willing to go about like 800 grand or something more than uh, – than, uh, Arkansas? Yeah, and whatever. Take this all with heavy grains of salt. I don't want to act like I'm like <laughs> – Sources. Yeah, I'm not backing any of this up. I'm just – whatever. Just don't – whatever. Take it. Um, but – I still think that Lane, if it was equal, probably would have chosen Ole Miss yeah, over Arkansas. Just, and I think the Hugh Freeze example is key because those years they were genuinely close. And I actually like, you know. How the, dude, that fourth and 25. 
that stopped them from going to the SEC championship. I kind of forgot about that. Okay, so I just I and I, I had I, to, yeah. and then I saw it like a month back, and it has stuck with me because I forgot. Like fourth and twenty five against Arkansas, the most BS play I've ever seen, and that is what stopped them from going to the SEC championship, and that's what allowed Alabama to go. And I think Alabama ended up winning the Natty that year. I believe so. I what? think that was yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's go twenty twenty. Um, ready? Yeah, what are we? What were we even talking about? I just feel like I just. Well, what we're out. talking about is the impact of this year oh, going oh, forward. No. Well, I guess that was ruminating. <laughs> no, on. Hey, this was what, good. What was what was it like living in Mississippi though, and covering that beat? Where, well, where were you? Where, where were well, you? Well, I was based in Jackson, but the, the, what I'm actually a good fit for this conversation is that my job was basically both. Oh. I was basically just the guy who went to both schools, depending like what game was bigger that weekend, wow. what was going on. So I covered both pretty consistently. And yeah, oh, I just don't whoa, think there's what a crazy kind of job. <laughs> and it was oh, and it was it was the year of the uh, it was the whole year the Leo Lewis scandal was going on. It was the year it was the year that it was. <laughs> and that's the year when everybody's just <laughs> snitching on each other. That was the year that Matt Luke was the interim <laughs> because Hugh, Fre- Hugh Freeze got fired for his old thing a week before I started. Wow. Um, and it was the year that Nick Fitzgerald snapped his ankle in the Egg Bowl, and yep. DK Metcalf pretend to pee, and all that stuff. Which, <laughs> if we're connecting, <laughs> if we're connecting the dots, right? I mean, the DK Metcalf piss directly leads to Lane Kiffin being head coach at Ole Miss. Matt Luke would not have been fired had Ole Miss won the Egg Bowl. They lost the Egg Bowl because what's his but, name? But of a Elijah, different man, Pete, yeah. Elijah, yes, but he did but he, that he wouldn't have to honor DK Metcalf. Yeah, DK Metcalf incepted him. <laughs> that's true. He would not have just randomly pulled out the dog bean. The Ole Miss people have have glorified the DK Metcalf piss. So so it's DK Metcalf is directly responsible for Lane Kiffin. Unbelievable. But yeah, no, there's nothing like to cover like that because I can't think of many other things where like everyone in the states connected to that, like the media cores on both sides are weirdly forever connected to the other school too. Like there's just this weird, just like magnetism where everything matters. Like I don't even think Alabama Auburn's the same way where like your day to day life is just always rooted in that and it's all relative to that. I just, yeah, I just don't think there's anything like it. And I always love the line somebody said. And I hate that I'm not, I don't know who said it. Maybe it was Neil McCready. I don't know, but it was like, Neither of those schools will ever win a national championship because if ever it gets close, the other one will bring them down. <laughs> they will report something, they will do something, but they will bring them down. Yes, that actually sounds like McCready. I feel like. Um, but uh, no, but, I, wait. So, did you? Uh, who do you think's gonna do better between Lane Kiffin and Joe Moorhead? I'm not gonna lie. I'm just very low on Joe Moorhead. See, I was number one Moorhead guy, which is why I need to be like, I need to bring myself down because I was number one Joe Moorhead guy a year and a half ago. And it's just not working out. I think his biggest, I also wonder how much he just had to, because I think he's one of the smarter guys in football. I really do. I, I think he's that. one of the more likable guys in football. He's actually, it seems like, become a better recruiter than I would have thought he'd be. Where's, I, where's Mississippi State at in the old, uh, in the old I'll find out for you, buddy. But, but yeah, so I just, I'm, I'm team Moorhead and I'm team that he can figure it out. And I think his biggest flaw those first two years was uh, he kind of, you know, he had this great offense and he wanted to run it at Mississippi State, but he had Nick Fitzgerald as his quarterback in year one. So he just like was a little too stubborn. By the way, they're number 22 in the country. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think if he would have just like adapted to what Fitzgerald did and what Mullen did, I think they actually would have been really great the year one, and that was his big screw up. See, but that's like to that's me, a huge screw up, though. Yeah, to me, that's like almost inexcusable. Oh, like, that was the best team they'll ever have. Talent yes, dude, that defense was an all time defense. The, and and it was like an even worse example of Auburn this year. Uh, God, yeah. But but like, 
that's inexcusable though. Like as a coach, you there's too much data out there that shows you you have to be willing to adapt. If you're that rigid, you're going. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna set yourself up for failure every yeah. time. I just and this year got ugly at times, but I just think they're almost good of a team this year. But I, my point, it's never good when you're when your side of the ball that that's supposed to be your side of the ball yeah. is not good. And that's what he's running into right now. Yeah, I'm just interested to see when it's finally, like, guys that he's recruiting, guys that, like, fit what he wants to do. Next year, oh, yeah, I mean, if they're bad next year, yeah, you, you get them out of there. There's no doubt about it. But Damn. I think I think there's a, a lot of potential. I don't, but, I know, I mean, my gut feeling is – You know is, what I would do? I would go Kiffin to answer your question. I think Kiffin will probably achieve more. Uh, I would also go Kiffin if I was Mississippi State. Fire Joe Moorhead after this year. Hire Lane Kiffin away from Ole Miss. The ultimate – ultimate chess move you think lane kiffin would ever live in starkville <laughs> hey baby not a chance how about did you see dan mullen dropping the joey freshwater comment no uh so peter burns did a twitter ranking of coaches <gasps> he'd want to go to vegas i with. did see this actually. and mullen quote tweet was like i should be higher on this list that was, was actually like, oh, hilarious like oh mullen, oh i i usually keep this private but dan mullen is my favorite sec coach by really much. i love every i mean he is a cocky like he he's, he's i a know dick he's, in a lot he's of got ways. a little swagger he's to a him, dick for but, sure but he is like one of my favorite characters in all college football because he's confident he's got that just like ridiculous cockiness yes. he's smart he's really funny when he wants to be yeah like and i just think he's actually one of the smartest coaches i love also i love his offense that's the offense i would run if i was a coach kind of like a powery spread like it's just i don't it's know it's true no i mean you know nothing nothing you've said is incorrect and speaking of adapting and also he's one of how that man adapted with kyle trask this yep. year and had a ton huge credit to trask as well but had a ton of success and also i think like history needs to remember that i think his job at mississippi state for what was he there eight years should go down as one of the best coaching jobs in college football history i really don't think that should be an exaggeration that's why i'm kind of worried about I'm worried about him at florida bro i think his problem at florida might be discipline things like that i think that like he's not a great recruiter at that kind of scale like he can land a guy but huh. i but there's like more to recruiting right it's about finding balance it's about getting the right guys all those things like i wonder yeah. if that's going to be his problem interesting I, I just i don't know where they rank uh recruiting rise right now but the um the I just, I mean, what, he's been there two years. What? And they, and oh, they, and they done two. They've done anybody. two. I mean, but him and Grantham are one of the best win, marriages. Two ten win seasons. Were they ten, so. ten and three last year? Maybe. I believe they're ten three last year. And eleven and two potentially maybe this year. Like. Oh yeah, I think him and Grantham are one of the better LSU marriages in football. Yes. Mullen can coach. Yeah, the thing about Mullen will be, what does his Florida team look like in year six? That's what we're gonna find out. But he will get more out of his talent than anybody. I think Dan Mullen every year is the best over bet when you look at win loss totals. I really, I'm all in on Mullen. Um, they're the number seven class in the country right now too. Um, <sighs> See, that's what I'm talking about, man. LSU is the number three class in the country though, and they have a chance to get as high as one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the the smoke in the street, and it's always like this around recruiting. Is that, um, is that like, you know, the, the, I guess. Well, I shouldn't say it's always like this because I think LSU is actually a bit unique right now compared to other years where I've covered it, where this is the first time I've ever seen them pushing people out. Now, because of that, that shows you that shows you that they're being choosy, like you know, the best twenty five, not first twenty five, all that stuff. And so that tells me two things. First, anybody that joins the class at this point, um, regardless of what the ranking is, the coaches think highly of him. I use Xavier Hill as this example, a three-star guard. But he comes in at a time when you're pushing everybody else out. Now, that, counterpoint. That was a surprise, yeah. Yeah, counterpoint, maybe you need O'Lyman. That's fair. But who did you take him from? You took him from Alabama. 
And they were very upset about that. And so both Alabama and LSU are interested. At a time when LSU's pushing people out, I'm going to look at that three-star ranking maybe with a little more potential than I would otherwise. Uh, and, yeah. and, and then furthermore, because you're clearing space, the smoke in the street right now is that there's some big moves <laughs> potentially coming, like big, big moves. There's some huge ones. I mean, obviously, Jordan Birch is the big one to follow, number two overall player in the country, superstar D lineman. I mean, he's it's that's one that's pretty up in the air that no one really knows what he's going to do yet. I mean, I think you know he's from South Carolina. I think Clemson seems like they might be out of the picture, but South Carolina is firmly in the picture. Georgia's firmly in the picture. LSU, LSU people I've talked to, and I believe you have too, believe that LSU feels like it has a slight lead, but they're not confident. You know, but the yeah. fact, but what, what should be clarified here is the fact that LSU is even in that for a South Carolina kid, or like that far away is actually one of the better recruiting jobs. They made up a lot of ground in just the past like nine months. That's a huge one. If they get him, I mean, LSU might have the number one class in the country. They're still heavily in the running for number eight overall player in the country, running back Zach Evans. I don't know if you now it looks like A&M might be more firmly in the lead there now, but LSU's still chasing some pretty big fish at running back that might be committed other places. I know they have a couple of big tackles that they're in the works on. Marcus Dumerville, top yeah. 100 tackle. Yeah. And he is uh, teammates of uh, one of the guys that's currently Marlon committed. Marlon Martinez. Yes. Uh, who's a guard, who is not very highly ranked, but, you know, it's interesting. And, to talk about I think O-line ranks pretty highly in positions that you just have to, like, trust the eval more than the, the ranking. And, yeah, the eval definitely matters, and also you like, need look bodies. Look at Damian Lewis. Sometimes, yes, exactly, right? I mean, not even recruited And Lloyd Fishberry. Uh, but you need, yes, and, the, and, the, and then other times, I mean, you need, you know, you, you eval and you need bodies and you see, you see what happens. I want to circle back something about quarterbacks a bit later. But there's Doomerville. There's another big tackle that I'm blanking on his name that they think they're in the mix for. But I think this one. Oh, Crawford? Yes. Crawford? Yes. Yeah, I think he has some. I think the tough thing with him will be getting academics right. Okay, I didn't know that. But yeah. And then Rakeem Jarrett, who right now, to me, if, if you were to describe the kind of most impressive part of LSU's class, it is the offensive hall uh, and the skill, specifically what that, I would that call is definitely the, story the class, Fab yeah. Four. It's uh, Raheem Jarrett, who's a five-star wide receiver uh, from – now he's at IMG. He's originally from – Raheem Jarrett's from Washington, D.C. Oh, wait. He's at St. Jones uh, College High School. Oh, I was thinking of uh, Elias Ricks for a second. Yeah. So Raheem Jarrett, who's the other big-time receivers? Then there's Kayshawn Booth from New Iberia. Booth's yeah. a, I don't know. Uh, and then Jermaine Burton from Calabasas, California. All three of them there's are top 52 guy. receivers – um, top 52 overall players in the country and top eight receivers in the country. Yeah. LSU getting those three – that's unheard of for LSU. I think that's the entire story of the class. And then we're leaving out Eric Gilbert. And that's where the Fab Four comes Yes. In. Who's the number nine overall player in the country and the highest rated tight end in 24-7 sports history. Yeah. And like I, I have a story actually up this morning about exactly the topic we're talking about at The Athletic. It's, uh, it's about basically how LSU finally figured its offense. Now it's about how to keep it rolling. And the fact that LSU, four of their top six ranked players in this class are offensive skill players. And, and Gilbert, to be clear, he's a tight end. He's not a tight end. You know what I mean? He's a six foot five, two. 250-pound freak receiver. Go watch Eric Gilbert's He, he just got named it the national... so crazy. He just got named Gatorade National Player of the Year. Oh, wow. A tight end has never won that. Wow. That's like, he's like a freak. Dab, so the idea... Dab, he's one of those dudes. So now you're going to have him and Moss together, plus one of the more... If you, Now, the tricky thing is, can you keep all three of these receivers? Like, like Gilbert's signing with LSU. But Rakeem, so that's what, that's why... That's <laughs> what I was all bringing up for, because Rakeem's you, looking a little shaky. I think LSU feels better about Rakeem Jarrett than they do Jermaine Burton right now. Oh, 
So Jermaine, now Rakeem Jarrett has Maryland on him really hard, and that one's going to be close. But I think LSU actually feels decent about that. Yeah, Maryland is the threat there. And you may say, why? Well, he's from it's there. Yeah. And Maryland's also an – Maryland, if you look at them historically, they're always a sneaky big recruit contender because you got the Under Armour thing, um, which is like – like Maryland is basically like Under Armour's version of Oregon and Nike. Yeah. Like they're really all in on that. Loxley's a good recruiter. There's a lot of reasons there. But um, LSU's front, content there. But I mean, he's also crab, not, crab cakes in football. That's what Maryland does. And also it's worth saying he's not signing until February, but that's purely just because that's what his school's rules are. They don't let you do it before they want it all together. So I was he's wonder, not like a, This wasn't like a, oh, Alabama convinced him to stay or something. Or okay, so, so you buy that? I didn't know if that was uh, – I didn't know if that oh, was – I mean, you uh, got to be – I'm going to be clear. You got to be worried about Rakeem Jarrett. I mean – Oh, no doubt, but I'm but saying like is that – do you I think that think, it's, it really is because of I don't think that was like Trenton Watford holding off because Will Wade convinced him to. No, I don't think it was like that. But – and then the other one you really got to worry about is Jermaine Burton. Jermaine Burton, who um, now Georgia is going hard for him. And, you know, you've had some people really, like some people on the Georgia side really think they got him. Mm. I talked to some LSU people today. And also, I mean, uh, Shea Dixon, like I said, we said, always defer to him on these things. And he, he's been pretty iffy. It could go either way right now. But LSU people I talked to this morning said they feel still feel solid about it. Um, but that one's going to be close, tough to watch because Georgia has the selling point of, it's no secret Georgia needs receivers, and Georgia's really good. They just yeah. need receivers. So Jermaine Burton could probably go there and be a I star. I wonder if you – because you're right. The playing time's immediate. The path to the field is harder at LSU. Yeah. Um, but the scheme pitch is way it's stronger huge. from LSU. And I talked to – so the, the, actually a fun story, just a quick aside. Hey, hey Brody, who eats? Everybody eats. Who eats, Brody? Everybody eats. Somebody? One or two people? Everybody. Do yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, that's no. what I would tell Jermaine Burton. <laughs> no, so I talked. I did a story this summer on LSU's national recruiting class. How they're recruiting like from DC to California and all that. And I talked to so his coach at Calabasas, California, is Chris Claiborne, who's a former USC defensive, I mean linebacker. Oh, and his receivers coach is Chris Conway. The, I mean Curtis Conway, the star receiver, um, you know, at USC as well, but yeah. a long time in the NFL. They're both USC people, <laughs> and USC tried to get Jermaine Burton and. They they both steered him to LSU. Like they not steered, but yeah, like they were both pro LSU. They love Coach O. They have Coach a really o, good bro. relationship with Coach yeah. O. But the reason I bring that up anyway is I talked to him over the summer about this exact topic, about that idea of like you really do kids want to come in a class where you're going to be one of three superstar receivers and all that. And they said, and Chris Claiborne said, these guys actually like that because there's these days people are smarter about things. It's kind of like in the NBA, you see teams are actually players are smarter yeah, about going. Team. They're smarter about going where they know an organization's good. Like I think with res- like recruits now, they know you don't want to be the only good skill player because that means everyone's going to double you and you're going to have a hard time getting the ball. He said these receivers actually know that if there are a lot of them, that's actually going to open everything up for you. And also, and like Mickey Joseph, the way he recruits, he does not tell people like you know you're going to be their star as a freshman. You're going to win the Heisman. Yeah. He tells people, hey, we got 12 dogs and you got to fight for it. It doesn't work with everybody, but I've recruited from one recruiting guy at LSU. I, I didn't name him in the story, but I used it. And it's like, yeah, they hear like Clemson, Alabama saying you're going to win the Heisman as a freshman. And they're like, that's bullshit. We know you're full of shit. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I, no. And, I mean, I, well, and, 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 you know, it, that, that, it's like you said, I think it's going to just come down to an individual by 
individual basis. I will say this. Also, Burton's from Georgia originally. That's a huge factor. Oh, and his mom okay. is moving back to that. Georgia after he's done high school. Mm, okay, well, we'll see what ends up happening with Jermaine. And, and to be clear, look, I want Jermaine Burton to do whatever is best for him and all these kids. And please, uh, just do, please, good God, nobody get in touch with these kids <laughs> online and tell them anything about their commitment choices. Uh, I mean, if, sure, if you want to be positive and support them, yeah, sure, do that. That's great. Just nothing negative. Come on, let's let's not. These kids have got to make the decisions that are best for them and their lives and let them figure that out. Uh, I will say, though, if I'm Joe Brady, I got a hell of a recruiting pitch to guys, and I can say, look at Jefferson's numbers, look at Chase's numbers, look at Terrace Marshall's touchdown numbers, realize he missed games because of injury, like yep. even deeper into the bin, Like there's production to and, be had. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I talked to Gilbert's high school coach this week too, and he was saying – What's appealing is that, okay, LSU's always been able to recruit running backs, right? Because they had that power run offense. But now this year to see, they went aerial attack, but still everybody got the ball. Like the running back got the ball, the tight end got the ball, for four different receivers got the ball. Because who eats? (laughs) Oh my God. Everybody. Yeah. So that was a, that's actually like really big to some of these guys is that like, oh, you have proof that even though you went spread, still the running back matters, still all these things matters. Like that was actually really appealing to some of these guys. So it's just kind of interesting. And even if they only keep two of those three star receivers, still a big haul. Well, we didn't even talk about Coy Moore, who's actually like a top 300 guy. Yeah, yeah. top 300 300 player. He's Metairie. Louisiana native. Um, top fifty receiver, like he he has potential to be really good too. So yeah, you don't you don't have to keep the Fab Four together. But I feel and good about Eric Gilbert. That's the that's crown the, yeah, jewel. He's, yeah, that's huge. the crown jewel. Uh, also because, dude, what can Joe Brady and Steve Insminger do with a tight end of Eric Gilbert's caliber? Two good ones. Yeah, and, and Dad Moss is really good as well. And, and I wonder uh, if they and, would do any. Well, and, and to be clear, I'm talking even more into like year three Eric Gilbert. Yeah, like, for just sure. Like what? Like. <laughs> But it, How good could he do? Do you think they would do any twelve personnel next year? Oh, I you open the playbook up to it for sure. So because the NFL is getting more for what Brody's that. talking about, if you don't know, um, eleven personnel is means all LSU one uses. tight end, uh, one running back on the field. That is all LSU and three receivers. Uses. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, twenty-one personnel would be two uh, running backs and one tight end. Uh, so it's like your fullback. You know, that's like your eye formation, right? Uh, 12 personnel would be one back, two tight ends. And the thing is, the Saints have done plenty of this when they've had mm-hmm. multiple... NFL is uh, moving toward it heavily. The Rams yes. have thrived with it. Yeah, and they and then so they've done plenty of this because it creates, you know, you're always looking for mismatches and stuff. So absolutely, man, if they think they got the dogs, you better believe and, that they will put in some 12 personnel. And the and if these guys are as good as they're projected to be, what, what this really does is, yeah, first off, it helps your running numbers. You're probably going to help, it's going to help you in the run game. But if, because Moss and Gilbert are Bro, both... Moss is a beast blocker. <laughs> Let's, you know, obviously and, I just want to always give him credit for that and Moss and Gilbert are both guys who can genuinely play receiver as well so yeah like like I'm just confirming what you said but yeah like it creates such a mismatch because okay now the defense has to get running numbers but now these two guys are basically receivers anyway so in reality you have five receivers on the field or four so like you actually can really spread out defense but it's just fun to look at what the depth chart could be next year say hypothetically they hold on to these guys okay your receivers are Jamar Chase best receiver in the country Terrace Marshall that's going to be the best duo you would imagine in college football next year. You start there. First off, let's not forget. Jefferson's gone. I feel decently bad. He's considered a second-round guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey. Yeah. You never why? know because he's, it does seem like he's a little bummed by his Twitter that he didn't get any of these awards, really didn't make any of the All-American teams. Like, you never know with these things. Like, maybe he's – but 
dude, you just can't turn down second round. That does kind of suck because he had an incredible year. It just got overshadowed and it changed by in seven Jamar weeks. Chase. Just like, like seven weeks ago, he was the guy, and now all of a sudden, like the world forgot. Um, well, because Chase did. Chase was silly over the second oh, half yeah. of the season. Exorbitant is uh, is a word that I will go back to describe <laughs> what he did in the second half of the season. So yeah, I think you know. Okay, so you look at those. You got those two up top. Assuming Jefferson's gone. Now let's not forget that they actually love Trey Palmer. He's yeah. got a lot of talent. I think he's to develop a lot. Bowl season might be good for him, but they love him as a deep ball guy. Okay, Racy McMath's back. Racy McMath's Racy a good McMath's football player. Back. Wow, I could be wrong, but I'm like no, 99. no, I have no idea. No, no, no I'm 99 percent no. sure. Just, I just have heard the name Racy McMath for it feels like uh, five years. Side note: He's also your best special teams Probably player. Like so that's years. also a bonus. But, <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> just to confirm, yes, he is indeed a junior. So let's go. So you got okay, Racy McMath is your fourth best receiver right now. He's your third or fourth next year. Uh, you still got Jare Jenkins, who looks good at times. Anyway, so that's like you got Devontae Lee, who was probably moving to defense next year, though. You think so? Is that <laughs> I the think word so. on the street? Yeah, I think so. You never know. But um, so anyway, so you got those guys, and then you add in Raheem Jarrett, Jermaine Burton, <sighs> and Keishawn Butte, and Coy Moore. Now those are probably your four, five, six, seven receivers. <laughs> so now you always got to play the numbers game. That in reality, if you bring in those four, you're kind of just hoping at least two of them pan out. You know, you're hoping two are actually yeah. as good as you think. Yeah. But just the fact that Hell, that's your throw, depth chart. Yeah, dude, throw and throw and just throw more and more guys against the wall. As long as they're really yeah. good, a couple of them will be, end up being great. <laughs> they have a chance to be a pretty – that's why the Miles Brennan thing is so fascinating next year because you also are going to have John Emery and Tyron Davis-Price back. You might add another top but running Miles back. Miles is going to ball out. So the pieces around Miles – we talk about this like every other week, but still it's just so interesting to me, especially if Joe Brady's back, assuming he is. It sounds like it. The idea that like now we're really going to see what he can do because one he's here for two years that's big but just all of those pieces even if Brennan's just a above average quarterback or an average quarterback yeah but he's a good passer so what can he do with just those pieces around him that are just perfectly built for him the offensive line at the very least should be solid you're bringing both tackles back mm-hmm. you're bringing probably Ed Ingram's back I don't know if Cushion Barry's back but still you're bringing back a good you amount you think Sadiq comes back is he a junior now he's a junior yeah in a way he has enough draft stock to. He sat out six games this year. You know, it's just like I would be shocked. He's never played a full season. I know. That's I'm, I know. But that's, I don't know his personal situation. I don't know, and I don't either. Yeah. I, I don't either. Sometimes though, I just wonder if guys just want to like. I, I guess I come from a weird perspective where I watched a lot of guys that I believe were very talented that just right after we left, like, like just left early just because they were like, I, I just want to try to make it on the on the NFL level. Yeah, so yeah. start making money. Because you always got to throw one or two wild cards in every class out there. They're like one or two guys might just shot. Like Ed Alexander last year is the best example of yeah. just like <laughs> sometimes stuff happens you just never saw coming. It would have been really good on the scene if you're three deep at nose right now. That'd be crazy. Yeah, but Tyler Shelvin, yeah, he still probably would have won that job. But <laughs> No, I mean, yes, no, Shelvin. <laughs> that was just my own curiosity. Still, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. It's just, oh. I mean, whatever, Apu Aika, man, the way that he's come on lately. They got – and actually that that is one part about the uh, – 2020 class. I love those two interior guys, the Guillory and, uh, or I guess Guillory is more of your nose, and then Jaquil Roy, Roy as your tackle. God, he looks good because he's just like he's so athletic. He's yoked, bro, and he's like he's like a slim 290 yes, or so. Like yes. he's he could be really good if he. And he's like, all right, we interviewed him on the radio one time, dude. And he's so like just. Mature, He's a mature and, dude, yeah. and he was like, you know, he he lost like 15 pounds by really committing to his diet and all this other stuff. And it's I got be- on a scale day, and I was 295. Yeah, he lost he he because that's kind of the story it's of him. Good. He was like a back end 100s guy that he just like going into his senior year, just going yeah after his junior year, just slimmed down so heavily and got so so tight. And he's for you know you know what I like about this 2020 class if the defensive commits play, pan out. 
uh, you it's a really good three four defense class. Interesting. Like, yeah, you got one good nose, like really good nose, potentially in Guillory. You got one really good, and I think they they're expecting more D lineman, but whatever. Yeah, you got one uh, really good defensive tackle. It looks in like Roy. in Jaquil and Roy. You got one really good outside linebacker in Ojolari. True. Uh, you they got have two inside guys two they love. Great inside Sampa guys. And Josh White. You got the elite five star Elias Riggs, who's the highest rated player in the entire class. We even talked about it. Uh, Gilbert's ranked higher than him. Uh, Ricks, oh, the Ricks is down to like twelve now. Oh, okay. Composite. Whatever. So, so Gilbert. Okay. So don't expect Ricks to be like a Stingley where he comes in and is like a star day one, but he will compete for a starting spot. Yeah. So you you have you have uh, Ricks out there at corner, and then you got a good safety in uh, Tolls. And there are people who believe that Jordan Tolls, if he also wasn't a star basketball player, like he would be a top fifty player. Like people like LSU thinks he's that good, and his Damn. rankings he's like ninety one right now. But there are people who believe like he'd be a star if he you know wasn't. And so he's, you know, may come play for uh, Ogeron and Wade. So, but you, you get what I'm saying? Like, it, oh, it yeah. feels like you got a big player at each year, three, four positions. That's a well spread a really good out point. recruiting class. And and it's also a reason why, as much as I want Dave Aranda to have ultimate success, go be head coach, do whatever you want to do, have great success. I was kind of, uh, you know, I was like, okay, good. I'm glad. If Just from an LSU perspective that he's coming back because this defense really has – Finally, it feels like after years been fully transformed into the 3-4 uh, yeah. image that he's always been wanting. And they're a lot more kind of – it seems like there's a decent amount of these guys who are athletic enough to be hybrid types. You know, like I'm pretty sure yep. Josh White is – at one point in his career was an edge rusher, you know, in high school. And, like, you know, he, it seems like Tolls is another guy who could be like a Delpit Stevens type where he's pretty b- built and whatnot. Was, I'm was, interested. Was Tyler Shelvin the – I think Tyler Shelvin's emergence has been the – Domino that finally made it feel like a three-four defense because I yeah, don't know that last you had year that was true the nose for years until in the first four years of Dave Aranda there was three weeks where Alexander looked great, but other than that, yeah, they haven't. I mean, last year their go-to like packages a lot of the time were those peso packages where yeah. you went to two defensive end types, and yeah. that just wasn't good enough against the run and whatnot. And I think you're that's a really good point that I really think that was that was huge. And actually, if it works out, I want to write it this week. But I have a story I want to write about how the 2017 class is the most important class you know that that class changed the entire program which is funny because shelvin class that's the class with jacoby this is o's first spring his first as head coach okay. and it was jacoby stevens caleb on Chason, austin oh. deculus tyler shelvin oh. jacob phillips grant delpit oh. todd harris Kerry vincent I mean, that's, ed ingram that the team justin right sadiq charles patrick queen neil farrell clyde edwards hilaire racy mcmath uh Air, tory carter justin jefferson that's like and also, all the current like main contributors. That, and they're all the leaders of the team as yeah. juniors. And also, the, it's kind of a really good character class, which is always a tough thing to articulate. But nope. that's also, we talk about this a lot, Jack Marucci. Yes. That's his big thing in recruiting. And Ed Ogeron, actually, I know for a fact, uh, Coach O leans on him a good amount about like, hey, what do you really think here, Jack? Because Jack studied this for two decades about he has yeah. a system where he rates the person, like the, the character of guys and all these things. And, and how- he told me, he told me before the season started, he's like, look, the yep. 07 team rated super high, 2011 rated super high. He was like, this team rates high like those does. And lo and behold, look what happens. And that, I think that's what's happening right now is I think it is a really good character class and that's showing right now. So, and that's also what they're, you know. Yeah, they were showing up for 10 a.m. Saturday practices. With now, the tough another. thing, though, is when you get this good, you can start getting any guy you want a lot, and that's where it gets really tough. Uh, hold on, let's see. Hello? Hey. Hey, what's up? Um, 
No, but we're in the middle of doing the podcast. Is she still crying? Uh, yeah, she just... No, no, no. She's like asleep. She's kind of been in and out a little bit. Okay. Um, do you, are you at the door? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to finish the podcast. I love you. I was going to say, yeah, let's finish the next five. I'm going <laughs> to call on. All right. We debated really quickly whether or not to take the call for my wife out, but we're going to leave it in. As of now, we're planning on it. Yeah. No, we can leave it in. We'll leave yeah, it in. It was a great um, call. The domestic issue. There we go. Dome- domestic. Domestic episode. This yeah. is the... That, no, yeah, that sounds terrible. No. <laughs> I meant this is the <laughs> domestic... Really gonna, I don't know if you, you guys couldn't <laughs> see my eyes, but it was like, what? <laughs> I meant this is the domestic episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast. So... Uh, so it's, it's in keeping with that theme. Um, yeah. So overall, I guess, man, we just, we got kind of so sidetracked. I, I wanted to ask what it was like being boots on the ground at the high. Yeah, we got a few minutes. Yeah, go. yeah. Yeah. What, <laughs> what did you, what was it like as what? a reporter? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's an, it's a, okay. The, the story with the Heisman is that <laughs> it's the worst event to cover for a reporter because you don't get any access you basically just get press conferences with the players, but you don't get to be in the ceremony. We, we talk to the players in a press conference at ah, 6. Okay. They go across the street to the actual ceremony, and then the winner comes back at 9.30 for his own press conference. So it's a, it's kind of like what you see on TV is what okay. you get, so it's tough to cover. But the thing – so obviously my assignment was to go do a, like – inside the weekend thing so i basically just stalked joe burrow as much as humanly possible like i didn't get any extra access i just found out what his schedule was and just kind of like followed him everywhere and it's <laughs> and it's a little interesting because it's a great read and the kind of premise of it is that joe burrow doesn't like doesn't like all this stuff it doesn't want to be doing all this stuff and so you're like writing about kind of his feeling towards this stuff as you are as are being the problem the <laughs> Yes, you are the person who is having to follow him around. That's actually, job. I hadn't thought of it that way, but my bad. I made sure not to like bother him. But no, you didn't. No, 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 man. And look, and and I'm not saying it like that's anything you shouldn't be doing because no, this is fascinating stuff. Dude. That's what a good reporter does. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, no, but yeah, and and, I, and by the way, I loved your writing. Just kind of setting the scene. Your description of the rooms and everything, I did feel very transporter when I was reading. Uh, it. I really appreciate that, man. But yeah, I mean, what the story tried to do, which is why I'm glad you brought up the, the him hating interviews thing, because that's no secret. I mean, everyone will tell you that. LSU yeah. will tell you that. I mean, he does not like this stuff, and I think mainly it's because he's just one of those guys who wants to be almost like a Dave Aranda, where it's just like he just wants to be in a room watching film or working on receivers. Like he doesn't go out much. He only been to like three places in Baton Rouge. He likes the joke. Like he d- he's not that social. So like he just yeah. wants to worry about football. He's a weird kind of guy like that. So he hates this stuff. And the fact that he had a five-day stretch where that's all he did nonstop. Ooh. And because he won, he had even more of it yesterday and Monday. And so it's, he's, he's exhausted. So it was just – but I thought the, the point of the story, though, was that it's fascinating how he, really you see a guy in real time go from everything about this week he hated and everything the past month he's been like, um, he, you know, we're focused on one goal. We're not – you know, awards are for later. We'll f- talk about that later. We're not worried about it. We're t- championship only. And then, like – and now it's actually here. And he kept saying, all right, I'm still not really feeling I'm still not really feeling And then we see in real time a guy actually get in the moment oh, yeah. and really yeah. just like in, the moment just overtook him. And you saw a, a man in real time enjoy a moment and actually feel it and break down on stage. And it was one of the cooler moments I've seen covering sports. Cause it's like this guy who tries so hard not to be like that just couldn't contain himself and broke down crying. Some raw. Okay, you're getting ignored. Some raw human emotion there. It's why I say that. Uh, sports remain, uh, I guess I don't say this. I've heard this plenty of places, but sports remain like there's some, the best reality television there is out there. That's why I think th- I love it so much are all the, uh, 
the stories that we get to witness, and this has been a bit of a storybook year for LSU. So uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Hold That Podcast, podcast domestic issue edition. Um, yeah, it's been a good one. It's been fun. Uh, what what else is I going to say? Oh, uh, as so I'm a Pelicans fan, Brody. You are. I'm a six. Can you coach me through how I'm supposed to accept being like horrendously bad for another year? Do I have to focus on the end goal? Do well, I care about the team day in and day out? Do I just like kind of zone out this year? Well, my advice is, first off, trust the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. Second off, I think when the team's in this phase, that's like the time you really got to watch and like embrace it and enjoy it because like that's where you figure out which guys you can trust for the future yeah. and like you really build some like okay yeah you, they're like they're like you were here for the bad like you know yeah, like, yeah you get like well a little, you like, see like well, this thing works I don't want to get rid of this thing but I don't like the, like how this yeah. lineup works so, like I'm ready like you find out like where you want what your building blocks are and what you want to really and also you haven't even seen the Zion stuff yet no I know I know so, and, like, but, but I'm saying I don't know if I would play Zion this year oh come on you gotta play him oh, bro, there's sure. no assumption that anybody's gonna be great this is rich coming from somebody who has Ben Simmons kicking ass every night for him I know and Joel Embiid set out two years I know I know yeah. but still I just think there's no guaranteed NBA that anyone's actually gonna be good yeah. so you can't play that game you have to like actually let him develop no you can't play that game you, you just push back his development like he went to college for another year uh, I think you need to get him game reps. I think you need to let him develop. Like he's not somebody who's like he does not. It's not like he has a polished game yet. He still needs no, to. No, like, but that's what I'm saying. But I'm not on that timeline. I'm acting like he's still in college this year. Like he doesn't even exist on the NBA stage yet. And then next year, his rookie year, like Ben Simmons, a second year rookie of the year. I don't agree. But wow, unbelievable! I agree. It's a shithead move to uh, season ticket holders. If you do that, and I just it's think it's, I just think it's important for him. Uh, but he's so young. Like uh, I don't think there's any problem with oh, giving if there's a guy any question a year of his to just health. get used to the NBA. I'm saying outside of the health, like yeah. almost like this is the NBA lifestyle. Let's learn how to be an adult. Learn how to be a professional. But I do think it worked for Simmons. I think it worked for Simmons. And just learn, like, learn to kind of let's let's really ease you into this so that we can maximize you down the road. Yeah, I just think you can't undervalue the importance of like learning. Bro, how. Zion's so good that he's going to make the Pelicans win, and that's not what we're trying to do right now. <laughs> Zion's going to score forty a night with twenty. I think the West might be so. Actually, West isn't doing as well as I thought they would this year. But I was going to say, I think the West is so good that even if you're good, you might lose. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I mean, like no. in the East, you got to worry about that. It's like, oh shoot, we're better than we're supposed to be. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh shoot. But like in the West, it's like, oh, like you can be like the Mavericks oh, or something man. like that, where you're like really good and still lose like 40, 50 games because it's just the West is brutal. Oh, there you go. There's your Pelicans part of the Hold That Podcast. I know. I cannot wait for the season. And I'm, I'm, we got to start going to Pel's games together. And Luke Johnson wants to join us and all these things because like the second football ends, I'm, I'm just going to go to Pelicans games for twenty dollars tickets like every week. I when I lived in New Orleans, that was the coolest part about living in New Orleans. I know you're there a lot. Yeah. Is that um basketball games require no time commitment. It's two hours. Oh yeah. And go I lived second. like fifteen minutes away. I had my little public parking cut that I knew about. Just duck in there, bam, to the game. I, I used to love that's when I fell in love with the team. It's a little too much from Baton Rouge for me now though. Yeah. I don't love the drive. Especially with a kid, too. Yeah, yeah. If, I'll go for a big game, but I'm not going for the casual Just weeknight like last games second. like yeah. I used to. I used to love it. Shout out Jake Madison. He brought me into the fold originally. He he got grandfathered into four season tickets from when the Pels are real shitty, and we just used to uh, That's awesome, though. go drink it up. All right. All right. Everybody have a great day. Hold that podcast. Podcast. T-Bob Bear. Domestic episode. Uh, yes, domestic issue episode. <laughs> Brody Miller. Go subscribe to The Athletic. Buy your meats from Bear Specialty Meats, and we will see you next week. Uh, au revoir. Goodbye.